Perhaps you heard the story of an old farmer that went to the city one weekend and attended the big city church. And when he came back home, his wife asked him how it went. He said, well, it was good. He said, but they did something a little different. They sang praise songs instead of hymns. He said, they're sort of like hymns, but only different. He said, if I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a hymn. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the black and white cows, the cows, the, the cows are in the corn, the corn, the corn, the corn, the corn. <laughs> then if I were to repeat the whole thing two or three times, that would be a praise song. Next weekend, his nephew, a young Christian uh, from the city, came to the country and went to the small country church. And when he went home, his mother asked him how it went. He said, well, it was, it was good, but they did something different. Instead of regular songs, they, they sang hymns. They're sort of like songs, only different. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn... Well, that would be a regular song. If, on the other hand, I were to say, O Martha, dear Martha, hear thou my cry, inclinest thine ear to the words of my mouth, turn thou thy whole wondrous ear by and by to the righteous, inimitable, glorious truth. For the way of the animals who can explain, there in their hearts is no shadow of sense. Hearkenest they in God's Son or His reign, unless from the mild tempting corn they are fenced. Yea, those cows in glad rebellious delight have broke free the shackles, their warm pens eschewed. Then goaded my minions of darkness and night, they all my mild chili wax sweet corn have chewed. So look to the bright shining day by and by, where all foul corruptions of earth are reborn where no vicious animals make my soul cry, and I no longer see those foul cows in the corn. Then, if we were to do only verses 1, 3, and 4, and do a key change on the last verse, well, that would be a hymn. If you are wondering what the people of Israel sang in the temple... It uh, may not have been praise songs, and it may not have been hymns. It probably was singing from the psalms. Many of the psalms were put to music and were written for the choir director. Okay, so a lot of them were sung as, as a choir. And this is why some have called the book of psalms the hymn book, of the Old Testament church. Now, we've sung um, here in our church some psalms put to music. So I guess that's a, 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 at least an Old Testament, a biblical way of, of singing. And yet, the Scripture does speak about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right, in the book of Ephesians. So, there's a variety of music, right? A variety of expression of, of praise uh, to the Lord. The psalm we look at this morning, Psalm 78, was written by Asaph. 
And if you were here last week, you might remember that Asaph was one of the worship leaders in the temple. And so this song was written by the Micah Johnson of the Old Testament temple. It wasn't a private psalm like the last one we looked at last week. It was more of a of a journal entry that Asaph wrote in Psalm 73. This was written for the people. And it had a very clear purpose. It was written to pass on God's truth from generation to generation. So let's read the first eight verses of this psalm. It's a rather lengthy one, but we're going to read, start at verses one through eight. And we read in Jesus' name. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. That the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. That they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and in whose spirit and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Father, would you take this psalm that we look at this morning, Psalm 78? Would you challenge us and teach us, Lord, and remind us, remind us, O God, of the, the responsibility we have to the next generation of proclaiming your truth that will go on from generation till generation until the day that you come again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 78 is really a history lesson. It recounts what God has done for his people from the time of the exodus out of Egypt until the time of David. And it's very interesting the way this psalm begins because it is described as a parable in verse 2. The psalmist says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I don't know what you think of that, but it makes me ask the question, why would you call a history lesson a parable? And so I did some research and read, you know, what, what some have said. And this is the best explanation One author says the psalmist can refer to the history of Israel as a parable, not because he denies that the events happen, but because he is emphasizing the theological and ethical significance of the events of Israel's past. In other words, what he's saying is he is reminding us that we don't study history just to gain knowledge. We study history because it is His 
story, right? It is the story of God working in the past through His people. And so we study history because it has or should have an impact on the way we live. That's why we study history. Not just to pass an exam in school, but to learn from the past because history is his God's story. Now, there's a very specific reason why Psalm 78 was written. It challenges us to help the next generation to remember the wondrous works of God. Look at verse 4. We will not conceal them from the children, but we will tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. Verse 6, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God. So you could look at this psalm almost like a teacher's manual, right? What parents are to teach their children. What Heritage Christian Academy is to teach the children that are entrusted to our care. These are the things that need to be passed on from generation to generation. It's a long psalm, but we could summarize that there are two things that the next generation really needs to remember. Two things. First of all, remember that God is our Redeemer. The deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt was such a momentous event that it is repeated all throughout Scripture, especially the Psalms. When the Psalms recount some of the wonderful things that God had done, it often goes back to the Exodus, to the time when God delivered, redeemed His people out of Israel. Look at verse 12. He wrought wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and He made the water stand up like a heap the wonders that God did in Egypt. And if you look further in this psalm, he gives us some examples of the ways that God displayed his wonders. Jump down to verse 44. He turned their rivers to blood. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave also their crops to the grasshopper and the product of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hailstones and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave over their cattle also to the hailstones and their herds to the bolts of lightning. He sent upon them burning anger, fury and indignation, trouble, a band of destroying angels. And he goes on and gives many examples of the ways that God had shown His power and His might in delivering His people out of Egypt. These were miraculous events. These were wondrous works. And you would think that events such as these would never be forgotten. Never be forgotten. And guess what? They were forgotten. 
They were absolutely forgotten. The people of Israel, look at verse 42, they did not remember His power. The day when He redeemed them from the adversary. How do you forget that? How do you not remember all those wonders that God did to deliver your people out of Egypt? Now, we might ask that question, but how do we forget <laughs> what God has done in our lives too? And you know what happens when you forget what God has done in the past, when you face another battle today or in the future, guess what happens? Oh, let me give you an example. Look at verse 9. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in His ways. Why? They forgot His deeds and His miracles that He had shown them. Now, we don't know exactly what this battle was, that the psalmist is referring to, but we know how the, how the people responded. Instead of believing that the God who delivered them out of Egypt could now deliver them in this battle, oh no, they forgot. Even though the, 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 the Exodus was perhaps the greatest display of God's power for His people, they forgot. And so the next battle they faced, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do now? Now, when it says that they forgot God's deeds, and it says they didn't remember what He had done, it's not like they had some kind of a mental lapse, like they didn't know anything about their history. It's not that they you know, had amnesia from getting hit on the head, or, or maybe a senior moment. And any of you have any of those not you young people, but you understand. That's not what he's talking about. To remember means more than just having a conscious awareness of an event. To remember an event like the Exodus implies living past. Who saved you? And that's what the people of Israel did not do. They were not living in trust and obedience to the one who saved them. It's not like they had never heard of the Exodus. <laughs> Who among the people of Israel had never heard of the Exodus? They knew of that. But they were not living in trust and obedience to the one who had done such great things for them. Now, it's easy to look at these people and say, what is wrong with you, right? How on earth could you forget what God had done? I wouldn't have done that. Well, are are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you're a whole lot different than the people of Israel? Or you're a whole lot different than the disciples? We look at them and we say, what is wrong with you? How could you forget this? And how many times do we do the very same thing? God has won the greatest battle for us at the cross, right? He redeemed us. He saved us. He purchased us with His blood on the cross. And yet there are times when there are battles that are much less significant than that. And we wonder, what am I going to do? How am I going to make this through? Make through this, huh? We're, we're not a whole lot different than the people of Israel. I remember a, a mother telling me one day, she said, 
you know, I was, I was worried about something. And I was talking about how worried I was. And my little daughter said to me, Mother, why don't you just trust God? A little child shall lead the rest. And she said, I am. You know what her little girl said? Sure doesn't look like it. And my mother said, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Here I was, all worried and all concerned about this. And my little daughter said, Mommy, it's time that you trust God. <laughs> and that's what the people of Israel needed to, to experience. To live in light of what God had done. To trust Him in the next battle. Because God had already redeemed them and saved them. So do you trust that God can redeem you? but you can't trust Him to provide for you? Do you trust that God can get you from here to glory, but He can't help you along the way? (laughs) Oh, how much we are like the people of Israel. We're (laughs) we're, We're just the same. And so He tells us to teach our children, verse 7, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And then verse 8 says, and not be like their fathers. (laughs) Don't be like your fathers. And notice how he describes them. A stubborn and rebellious generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. I don't know if any of you wives have said to your children, you're just like your father. Have you ever said that? <laughs> well, if your father is a man who is trusting and obeying God, that's great. But if he's not, it's just like, oh, don't be like your dad. Well, that's, what he's, that's, what, that's what's being said here. You've been redeemed. But those who followed that time of the Exodus, they've forgotten. He says, don't be like that. Remember. God has redeemed you. And if He has the power to redeem you, there is nothing that is too difficult for Him. Believe that? I hope so. I hope so. So first of all, remember that God is our Redeemer. Then secondly, remember that God is our provider. He is our provider. We know that times were difficult for the people of Israel when they left Egypt. They struggled, right, on their way to to the promised land. And I guess we'd have to say that much of it was, was really their own fault. Remember what happened when they spied out the land of Canaan? There were 12 spies that were sent out, one from each tribe. Ten of them came back and said, There is no way we can do this. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. And they look at us, and that's how we look at ourselves as well. There were only two who said, we need to trust God. Joshua and Caleb. So they had spied out the land for 40 days, and God said, I'm going to give you one year for every day. And you are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And yet notice how faithful God was to provide for them. Verse 14, Then He led them with the cloud by day, and all the night with a light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them abundant drink like the ocean depths. 
He brought forth streams also from the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Now, would you call that a miracle? God's miraculous provision for them, just as He had revealed His power in Egypt, now He was revealing His power in the wilderness for those 40 years. And I'm sure it made a difference, didn't it? I bet you they said, oh, we can trust this God. Mm, Maybe not. Verse 17, Yet they still continued to sin against Him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And in their heart they put God to the test by asking food according to their desire. Then they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rocks that water gushed out, and streams were overflowing. Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard, and was full of wrath, and a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also mounted against Israel, because they did not believe in God, and did not trust in his salvation. What would you have done with these people if you were God? Would you have been ready to say, these people just don't get it. These people never learn. After all that I've done for them, redeeming them in Egypt, providing for them these 40 years in the wilderness, water from the rock and manna from heaven, these people just don't see to get it. In a difficult place where the resources were scarce with such a massive group of people, probably somewhere between one and two million people, God graciously and powerfully provided for them. And He said, I don't want you to forget this. Remember what I've done. And verse 32 says, in spite of this, they and did not believe in His wonderful works. And yet, God did not reject them. God led them to that promised land. And you read about that in the book of Joshua, how the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, and and they defeated these nations, and, and they went into the land that God had promised them. Surely now, right? Surely now they would trust Him. And I think you know the answer. They didn't trust Him. Verse 52, He led forth His own people like sheep, guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them safely so they did not fear. The sea engulfed their enemies, so He brought them to His holy land, to this hill country which His right hand had gained. He also drove out the nations before them and apportioned them for an inheritance by measurement and made the tribes of Israel dwell in their tents. And guess what? Verse 56, They tempted and rebelled the Most High God and did not keep His testimony, but turned back and acted treacherously like their fathers. They turned aside like a treacherous bull, for they provoked Him with their high places and aroused His jealousy with their graven images. Now think of that. 
After all that God had done for them, it culminated in what? Idol worship. (laughs) Idol worship. Wow. I guess it shows us what human nature is like, doesn't it? And if you look at the end of the psalm, then it finally came to the point where God had no choice but to send them into captivity. Do you see why the psalmist says, don't be like your fathers? Learn from the way that they did not trust me. Because there's two kinds of examples, right? A good example to follow and a bad example to avoid. And this psalm really deals with the latter, doesn't it? Don't be like your fathers who did not trust me. You need to trust me. I am worthy of your trust. After all that God had done for them, how could they be so different, huh? And maybe that's the question we need to ask ourselves today. You know, some people talk about stubborn Swedes or stubborn Germans or stubborn Norwegians. Um, I've got news for you. We are all stubborn. We are all stubborn. Just like the people of Israel by nature, we are stubborn people. And that's why we can be thankful for the most wonderful work of all that God has done for us in His great compassion. (laughs) He forgives us. Look at verse 37. Their heart was not steadfast toward Him, nor were they faithful in His covenant, but, and I love that word, but, but He, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. And often He restrained His anger and did not arouse all His wrath. That's got to be the most wondrous work of all in this chapter. That God did not destroy them. That God did not say to them, I have had enough. He made a promise to Abraham, didn't he? And he kept that promise from generation to generation to generation because God's faithfulness endures, as Psalm 100 says, to all generations. He forgave them. And that's what the psalmist says you need to tell your children, that how gracious and merciful God really is. He could have rejected us. But being compassionate, He forgave us. Have you experienced that wondrous work of God in your life? Do you, do you know what it means to be forgiven? You need to be forgiven just like these people do. And so do I. And we can be thankful that Jesus is the one who paid that price for our sin, that we can be forgiven. God can't just overlook our sin and say, well, that's okay. He is a just God. Sin had to be punished. And that sin was placed upon Jesus. And guess what? As we look through this psalm, I would suggest to you we see Jesus everywhere. (laughs) Because the Scripture, in various ways, points us to Jesus. Sometimes direct, 
prophecies, sometimes pictures. And in this psalm, there are a lot of pictures of Jesus. The Exodus. That pictures Jesus. Because remember when, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. Luke chapter 9, verse 31 says that they were speaking of His departure, which was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. You know what the word departure is there? Exodus. Exodus. And the people in, who heard this would know exactly what that referred to. Oh, the Exodus. Jesus is headed toward His Exodus. He's the one that redeemed us. What happened during the Exodus? What happened during those miraculous plagues? There was the tenth plague where the death angel came and the blood of the Lamb had to be placed over the door, right? And when I see the blood, I will what? I'll pass over. The New Testament tells us First 1 Corinthians 5-7 that Jesus is our Passover. So we see Jesus there. First Corinthians 10 says that they all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was whom? Christ. Jesus. Manna. How does Jesus describe Himself in the Gospel of John? He is the true manna, the true bread of life that has come down from heaven. So in the manna that is, was fed to the people during those years of wandering, that pictures Jesus. So all throughout this psalm, when we talk about redemption and provision, where do we find it? In Jesus, right? The blood He shed for our redemption. The manna He provides. The water of life that He provides. The bread of life that He provides. His guiding hand. Pillar of cloud by day. Fire by night. The presence of God. Who is the light of the world. It's everywhere you see in this psalm pointing to Jesus as our Redeemer. And as our provider. So the, the question really comes down to this. Are you trusting in Jesus? Is He your Redeemer? Is He your provider? And if so, then you can face life in confidence, right? Knowing that He saved you. That He will provide for all of your needs. I would say that's worth singing about, wouldn't you? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Huh? Redeemed. When you've been redeemed, you've got something to sing about. Remember a story I read about Dr. A.J. Gordon. He was a pastor years ago in the city of Boston. And there was a little boy that came... Uh, by his church, and Dr. Gordon was outside the church, and, and this little boy had a rusty cage that had several little birds in it fluttering around. 
And so Dr. Gordon uh, asked him, he said, Son, uh, where'd you get those birds? He said, Oh, I trapped them out in the field. He said, What are you going to do with them? He said, Well, I'm going I'm to play with them for a while. And he said, Then I'm going to feed them to our cat. And Dr. Gordon said, Oh, feed them to your cat. He said, Could I buy them from you? He said, I'll give you $2 for the cage and the birds. $2, the boy said. He said, Mister, you're, you're, you're getting a bad bargain. He said, these, these birds, he said, they, they can't even sing. He said, I'll give you $2 for it. And so he took the $2 and the little boy went whistling away down the street thinking, whoa, look at there, I made some money on that. And so Dr. Gordon went in the back of the church and he opened up the cage and the birds flew into the air singing. So he took that rusty bird cage into the pulpit on Sunday and he told the story. And he said, the little boy said that these birds couldn't sing. He said, you should have heard them sing. He said, when that door was opened up and those birds flew out, he said it was just like they were singing, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. You see, Dr. Gordon had paid a price for the freedom, the redemption of those birds. And when they were set free, they had something to sing about. Jesus has paid for our redemption. Just as He redeemed the Israelites from Egypt, He's redeemed us from sin and death. And He provides for all of our needs, right? According to His riches and glory. If that doesn't make you want to sing, then there's something wrong. Because the redeemed of the Lord they want to sing. The psalmist says, He put a new song in my heart. A song of praise to our God. Many will see and will fear and put their trust in the Lord. I'm going to give you a chance to sing. We're going to sing a closing hymn. Praise Him. Praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. If you've been redeemed, you've got something to sing about. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the the redemption, the the salvation, the provision for our uh, hope. And thank you, Lord, that you provide uh, daily for all of our needs. We want to thank you and praise you for your goodness. These things we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.